everyone i hope you guys had an amazing week and an even better weekend so i wanted to shout out our mintwave radio fam i told you guys i was going to do a better job of this so for those of you who don't know mintwave radio is our international radio station based out in the uk and so according to rp is featured on their radio station each and every week. So thank you to our UK family for being loyal listeners and for supporting the According to RP brand. Um, I look forward to your continued support, but I wanted to make sure that you guys know that I see you guys and I appreciate your listenership. And I want to take this time to also shout out some of our sponsors for Black Ivy Media. So Air Wellness, Trendy Tripping and Halefo, which is the Haitian Law Enforcement Fraternal Organization. Thank you so much for your sponsorship. Thank you so much for your support and your belief in the work that we are doing here at Black Ivy Media. And I look forward to your continued uh, support. And for those of you who are wondering, oh, I want to be part of that list. How can I be? How can I be down? Right. Uh, definitely send us a you can send us a DM if you are Instagram savvy. Send us a DM at Black Ivy Media on Instagram. Um, you could even send us a DM at According to RP on Instagram. You could send us an email at info at blackivymedia.com and I will be sure to respond to your inquiry. Either way, today we have an amazing show because we have an amazing guest and she is no stranger to the According to RP platform, Diane Samu Graves, attorney at large, um, one of my law school sisters, one of my very, very, very close friends. Um, she was actually on the show in March. We were talking about women empowerment and things of that nature. However, if you guys did to if you guys tuned in on that show you would have remembered me saying that we're going to bring her back for the month of April because April is autism awareness month and we're going to be talking about autism awareness but from the perspective of the provider so last year we had an amazing guest by the name of Jennifer Wilshire who talked about her personal experience being the parent of a child with autism, but also from the clinical perspective because she's also a, a licensed social worker. Diane, however, an individual who wears many, many hats, is the administrative director of her family-owned business, and they are essentially service providers for children with autism. And so, again, this episode is going to be so jam-packed with facts, with gems. I mean, I was blown away and I was inspired to figure out how can I help, you know, promote, raise awareness and support the autism cause. So you definitely want to keep it locked. So we have a few minutes left for some of our preliminaries. I'm not going to do all of them, but it is now time for our Haitian Creole word or phrase of the week. <laughs> 
Creole word or phrase of the week is coute j. Coute j. Basically, side eye. And the reason that this is the Haitian Creole word of the week, because again, the last week and a half, we have been consumed with the Will and Jada situation. And many are wondering what would possess him to go on stage and slap Chris Rock. Well, it was the coude. It was the coude, the side eye from Jada Pinkett that set him in motion. So coude means side eye. I had to figure out a way to... to <laughs> to incorporate this uh this phrase and so although i did not want to have to talk about will and jade anymore this was the perfect you know perfect setup for me to do so so kudje essentially means side eye um and that's that so I, it's kind of like when people say she cut her eyes at her right kudje essentially the same thing you're welcome <laughs> so it is now time for our big up of the week watch it and you can big up big up all of the woman them big up big up so this week's big up of the week goes to the newly minted Justice Kantanji Brown Jackson. So I believe it was Thursday, uh, you know, the vote came in and Justice Kantanji Brown Jackson was uh, confirmed. So she is now the first ever black woman to sit on the Supreme Court. So congratulations to her. I can only hope that, you know, she goes forth and does amazing things. I'm always side-eyeing. I'm always kujing all of the justices because at the end of the day, yes, first black, we love it. But let's see when the real policies, when the real laws, when the real situations are coming about. Let's see what decisions are being made there. So I am happy. I am thrilled for this historical moment. However, I am still keeping a watchful eye. So there is that. And we are now on to the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with my very special guest, no stranger to the According to RP platform, Diane Samu-Graves. Diane, please say hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Diane, don't be so modest. <laughs> <laughs> I need a bigger hello. I need a bigger hello. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Afternoon, if you're listening. Evening, if you're listening. It is my absolute pleasure to be back again. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Diane, although you were only recently on the show, I think last month, actually, there are always mm -hmm. new listeners, always new followers. So if you can just briefly introduce yourself, let us know a little bit about who you are, where you're from and what you do. Um, so as Rita said, my name is Diane Samu Graves. Um, I am originally from Nigeria and Sierra Leone. Uh, however, I call Maryland home, Maryland stand up, the best state in the union. Oh, um, and <laughs> in, the, in the union, in the, in union. the union, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I am, I am an attorney and, um, today I'm wearing my hat as the administrative director for the Symmetrium group, which is, um, an organization that works with children who have autism and their families. 
All right. So, you know, for those of you who are not aware, April is Autism Awareness Month, and we always love to do our part on highlighting this very, very important, you know, area, right? So last year we had um, uh, Jennifer Wilshire who came on to talk about her experience dealing with autism as the parent um, of a child with autism, but also as a social worker. Uh, So she was kind of able to wear both hats, but this year we really wanted to focus on the viewpoint and the lens of the provider, right? The person who is actually providing services to individuals with autism, because I think that's a very important lens for us to, to really, um, I guess, see through. So Diane, thank you so much for being a guest again and really wearing another hat (laughs) and sharing your expertise on, on this very critical um, issue. So Diane, I want to start off, you know, with some of the basics, you know, what is autism? Right. So the full name is Autism Spectrum Disorder or ASD. So you'll see it referred to as ASD or for short, people just say autism. And it refers to a broad range of um, conditions that are characterized by people having challenges with social skills, right? Social skills is a huge one. Um, Repetitive behaviors as well. Um, Speech and nonverbal communication. And so um, all of these things kind of taken together um, make up the spectrum of autism, right? Because you have, and that's why it's called autism spectrum disorder, because it's a spectrum of conditions and there's a spectrum on how it um, presents itself. I see. I see. Okay. So with respect to diagnosis, how how does one get diagnosed with autism? Yeah. So, you know, before I, you know, answer that, I just, I want to, I want to bring it to your listeners' attention that autism is actually a lot more common than we know. So according to the CDC, it affects an estimated one in 44 children in the United States. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to think about that. If you know, two classrooms of grade room students, right? At least one of them is going to have autism. So it's pretty common. And, you know, in recent years, the the rate of diagnosis has increased. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's difficult to diagnose autism because it's not something where you can go get a blood test or you can get an x-ray and say, oh, you have autism, at least not yet. That's not where we are in the technology. And so the way that it's diagnosed is, Doctors look at the child's developmental history and behavior to make a diagnosis. And so, um, you know, it can be detected usually um, anywhere from 18 months um, up to three years old is usually when a lot of these things present themselves. And, you know, parents are are usually the first to say, "Mm, something's not right. They're not hitting that developmental milestone. They're not talking you know, they're having these tics um, and tics usually refer to those repetitive behaviors I, I you know, I, I talked about. Um, and, you know, I looked up some stats before we talked and the American Academy of Pediatric, Pediatrics, excuse me, recommends that all children be screened specifically for autism spectrum disorder during their well child visits at 18 months and 24 months. So again, like I said, 
that's usually the period when these behaviors um, start to present themselves. Interesting that it's that it's that early, right? That's that early yeah. that we're we're wanting to screen these children. Um, and it's interesting because when one thinks about a child in that age group, sometimes you know people are just. I don't know, like I, for the parents that I know that have children with, with autism, for them, it was kind of like, oh, let's see if they'll grow out of whatever it is that they're doing. Like it, it's typical yeah. for children to just be a little odd, maybe, or, or, you know, so it's interesting that, you know, it's that age group specifically that they're kind of really pushing people to to get screened. Yeah. And, you know, Rita, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because um there's nothing, there's no harm in screening. You have to take these kids for their well child visits anyway, and you bring it to the doctor's attention. Hey, I've noticed this behavior. It's not saying that, you know, something is wrong with your child. It's just my child thinks differently or my child, you know, sees the world differently is really what it is. Um, and it's important that you do it early because early intervention is key right? The earlier we catch this diagnosis, the earlier we can put appropriate um, interventions into place and really work with with the children. And I'll share with you personally, uh, my nephew has autism uh, spectrum disorder. And fortunately, you know, both my parents are retired special educators. Uh, My sister also has a background in that. And so they were able to really say, uh, something's off with with him. Let's go get this screening. Let's put these interventions in place. And now, you know, um, my nephew's just a normal kid or, well, I don't want to say a normal kid. He still sees the world very differently. And you know, is sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes he can be um, what we see as socially inappropriate, um, you know, but he just, he just approaches life differently. Um, but we are so grateful that he got screened early. They caught the diagnosis early and they put those appropriate interventions into place. And, you know, speaking of early intervention, like I also have, um, a younger cousin of mine who, Mm -hmm. um, when he was, you know, around maybe two years old, I would say started realizing, Hmm. Not necessarily, right. you know, he's screeching a lot, you know, he's, yeah. you know, his cute little Becky Ming, Becky Ming for like Burger King was like, it was cute, but it was like, kids could say Burger King at us, you know what I mean? They could say precisely. Um, But my aunt, thank God, you know, being, you know, Haitian and, you know, just Caribbeans in general, again, we tend to be very, very weary of any kind of testing, any kind of anything when it comes to our children. But my Mm -hmm. aunt, thank God, was savvy enough to say, let me let me do the same. Let me bring him for testing. Let me bring him for screening. And they diagnosed him very, very early. And he's had, you know, services essentially all throughout his life. He's 20 maybe six or seven now and he's you know he's thriving he likes to be by himself a lot of times he's not a man of of many words but he'll still socialize he'll still give a hug and that's not something that tends to happen with kids who have not had that early intervention so yeah right yeah no that's again that's important and getting back to you know if you suspect something wrong, just, just get them screened. And, you know, if the doctor says, nope, 
they're just, they'll grow out of it. Great. But if the doctor says, Hey, I think your kid has autism, then also great. It just means now, you know what the next steps are. Mm. So as we're still talking about early intervention, let's say, you know, the parents are not necessarily, and I don't want to use the word savvy, but they're not picking up on the cues, right? Instead, mm-hmm. they're really attribute, attributing the behavior to be, okay, this kid is just a bad kid. Like he's just acting up. Yeah. He wants to be class clown. He just likes to throw tantrums. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> and so I, I see, I see our friends. Our friends are also in- <laughs> yes. joining us. <laughs> Oh man. So for those of you who are not aware, my my godchildren, uh Knight and Ginger. <laughs> I've made it a <laughs> I've made an appearance on the show. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They said uh we're talking too much and not letting them have a word. Right. They're like not on my watch. <laughs> That's right. That's great. Oh man. But yeah, so on so talking about early intervention and sometimes parents are not necessarily hip to the cues, you know, they'll attribute mm-hmm. behavior to just be poor behavior, bad behavior, lack of awareness. Um mm-hmm. where does the education system play in this early intervention? Meaning, you know, at the end of the day, when we're thinking about a, a child who, let's say, goes to daycare, let's let's go early enough and hit the daycare marker, right? Between right. four, five years old. Um, these teachers or professionals are usually with these kids, probably more than the parents are. Um, mm-hmm. So are there trainings provided to teachers and, and, and early education specialists to detect you know, aut- you know, I guess autistic cues. Um, and if mm-hmm. so, like, you know, cause I'm, I'm thinking about all the kids who have gone through life and have not been diagnosed till very much later. And I'm just like, you know, right. where are the teachers in all of this that, that, that are with them every day? Yes. So, you know, if, if your child is in the daycare where, you know, you have professionals who have a background in early education, right. A lot of them um, certainly, can pick up on on some of these behaviors. Um, now, this is kind of where it gets tricky, right? Because as as professionals, it is difficult to tell any parent something about their child that they don't feel like hearing, right? And so there's this level of of denial as well. And so um, you know, a lot of um, daycare workers are not necessary clinicians um, to make these, these diag- they, they can't make these diagnoses, right? It's a doctor that makes the diagnosis. So, um, an, a, you know, an attentive, um, you know, educator or daycare worker can certainly record these behaviors and tell the parent, hey, you know, I noticed that Johnny has been, um, you know, engaging in repetitive behaviors, or he doesn't want to play with his peers, or, you know, all of those are kind of um, buzz phrases Mm -hmm. uh, or or behaviors that parents should, you know, your antenna should kind of go up because as humans, we're socialized and, you know, we love to socialize and that's just our nature. So, you know, and I I come back to the the social skills thing because that is a hallmark of autism. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you have a kid that really doesn't want to engage at all, um, you know, difficulty making eye contact, things like that. And, 
you know, their daycare provider is noticing these things and bringing it to your attention, you know, really pay attention, um, you know, when they, when they say these things, but again, it's, it's not on them to make the diagnoses. Um, they, it's not their job. And a lot of them, you know, while, while you can certainly have some training for it and you can take some courses for it, um, that is not what they are trained to do. But if they bring it to your attention, again, listen, and um, as a parent, take those next steps. Right. And I'm glad that you said that because I, uh, the part about parents not being so inclined to hear anything seemingly negative about their children. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that for the parents that are listening again, it's, it's not a knock on your kid. It's something, you know, it's information that can be very useful that can literally, you know, set the trajectory of their lives. Right. And so we need to not be so sensitive when it comes to feedback, constructive criticism of our children, Mm -hmm. because it could save their life. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Absolutely. So now is autism something that only children experience or children have is it like is it one of those things where okay you can grow out of autism because we don't really hear a lot about adults with autism right so I want to just kind of clear that up a little bit is this a childhood disease quote-unquote a childhood issue or is it something that you know we grow out of no, and I think you just gave that that great example, right, of of your cousin who's now, you know, 26, 27 years old, and he still has autism. Um, no. So the diagnosis is primarily um, made in childhood. However, uh, it is a lifelong um, condition that uh, people live with, and they're very successful living with it, and they're very successful adapting um you know, to, to the world. And so while most diagnoses are made in childhood, there are some adults that get diagnosed, you know, later in life with autism spectrum disorder. And, you know, again, I, I want to take the, the stigma out of, out of autism, right? It's, it's not, it's not a disease. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, contagious. It's, it is people who just who see the world very differently than we do, right? right. And so they just have a, a different perspective. And you know, working with with children with autism, I will tell you, um, they are some of the smartest individuals that you will come across in life. And and you know, a lot of times you might not be smart enough to actually realize just how smart they are. Um, and oftentimes, Rita, I, I, I like them better than, than people who don't have autism, you know, um, (laughs) they're they're truth tellers. They're, they're truth tellers. tellers, They don't mincing words. They they don't mince words. If you want to really know if that outfit makes you look fat, like go ahead and ask a kid who has autism, right? Cause they're going to say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, I'll I'll tell you a, a very funny quick story. My nephew came over our our house and um my husband's name is Mark and he went to the basement and um like all of us in you know this age group that we're in our late 30s pushing 40, 
Um, exercise is not something that we are always, you know, very keen to do. And so my nephew goes to the basement where Mark keeps, you know, all our exercise equipment and things like that. And he goes, Uncle Mark, how come every time I come to your house, I see all this exercise equipment, but I've never once seen you use it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, you know, while, while uh, Mark was taken aback a little bit, right? My nephew was absolutely correct. Like it's aspirational for Mark to use, you know, some of these weights and things like like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a condition um, that certainly affects children, but it also affects adults. And um, you know, you carry it into into adulthood, and it's it's important that we are aware that they're just seeing the world differently than we do. Right. And I think it's helpful for us to think about autism being something that affects adults, because many of times I can say as an individual who has worked in many workplace settings uh, with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, that coworker who, you know, tends to be the one who either gets under your skin, gets on your nerves, seems to just be the oddball. They might, they might be on a spectrum and I'm not going, I'm not encouraging people to become like, you know, uh, (laughs) amateur clinicians where you're around diagnosing people. Oh, that person's on a spectrum. That's why, you know, (laughs) Yeah, but it does help us in, in, in a way to kind of give a little more grace. Like, I mean, if a coworker is yeah. being a total like jerk, that's different, but there are the ones that you can tell are just a little, I don't want to say off, but they're not necessarily, uh, you know, on the same like playing level as you in a sense, in terms of maybe mm-hmm. they're in social interactions. Like you said, their socialization right. is off um, right. a little, right. Maybe not to the same degree as you would, you would want or expect. And it could be, because of some sort of autistic, you know, because people aren't wearing the scarlet letter A on their chest. Correct. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. No, Rita, I think I think that is that is very important, right? That we we practice patience with people. We we um, are kind to others and we extend them grace. Right. Because mm-hmm. sure, that coworker, again, is, is probably smarter than you are. Um, but they do have problems making eye contact with you and they do have problems, you know, going to happy hours or, or, or whatever it is. Um, so you just be patient with them. You know, you extend yourself to them, you know, don't treat them special, like right. they're, you know, special in quotes. Um, but just be, just make sure that you're, you're kind. Um, because they're already struggling with the fact that they know they see the world differently. And oftentimes they don't understand why they see the world so, so differently than, than everybody else, but they do. Um, and children with autism, you know, they grew up to be adults with autism and um, they lead very productive lives and, you know, they're all around us and, and they're um, in our society. In fact, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's Amy Schumer's husband um, is actually on the on the spectrum. So again, they are all around us. We we likely know someone with autism. We likely interact with someone with autism, and um, we should always be mindful to treat them as though we would want someone to treat our child. 
if our child had autism. I love that. Now, you know, as you were talking and you're saying, you know, we may know somebody with autism, we may, you know, Mm -hmm. interact with people with autism, you know, I function more Mm -hmm. so in the black community, right? You know, I I dip my toe, you know, every day in the global world, you know, and mixing and mingling with colleagues of all backgrounds and, you know, shapes, sizes or whatever. But for the most part, my world is in the black community. And so when you're talking about meeting people and seeing people, I'm just like, huh, have I met someone? Have I spoken to somebody? Have I interacted with somebody with autism? So I kind of want to talk about autism in the black community. And I, and I, I really want to talk about the disparities, right. That uh, Mm -hmm. exists, you know, well, are there disparities in your opinion as a provider, um, are there disparities that exist for individuals with autism? Yeah. So, you know, that's a very interesting um, question. And, you know, we're, we're, we provide services in the state of Maryland and I will tell you, um, so our company has been around since 2006. Mm -hmm. And in those years, um, what I will say to you is by and large, a lot of the children that we have seen, are um, black kids, right? That that are on the spectrum, um, that are diagnosed with these behaviors. Um, and now, you know, more recently, we are seeing a lot of uh, children um, with a Latino background coming in mm. and they have autism. And so um, again, you know, I alluded to this earlier in our conversation that, you know, the diagnoses are increasing. Um, that's partly attributable to awareness, Um, but by and large, we are seeing a great number of of, um, children of color that uh, this condition is affecting. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't other nationalities and races that encounter, like that, you know, have, um, I guess, uh, the existence of autism within their communities, they absolutely do. But what I am seeing is those who are, you know, receiving services um, are by and large either Black or Latino. Um, now, what I do want to say about that, right, is while, you know, various states throughout the country provide services, there are not enough services, period. There, there just aren't. As recently as I would say, Right before um, COVID, there was something like a 10-year wait list to get services um, uh, through Medicaid um, for your child with autism. So I want you to think about this. If your child is diagnosed with autism at the age of two, you have to educate yourself and you have to deal with it and you have to provide services until that child is 12 years old, right? So there's this 10-year wait period where maybe the only assistance that you're getting is, you know, if if they're receiving services in school. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of respite services, in terms of, um, you know, uh, really targeted services to help this child thrive, it's on you as the parent, as a family member to work with this child to help them reach their full potential. 
Um, and so are there, you know, disparities in services? Sure, there are. Um, because if you have the resources to implement, you know, services at two and to take them to occupational therapy, to get them speech therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, all of those different therapies that children with autism receive, then great. You can do that. And your child, the outcome for your child starting at age two, getting those services looks very different than a child who has to wait until they're, they're 12. And, you know, I'm saying the age of 12, um, and that's an optimistic number, because again, if you're not getting these diagnoses until four, five, six years old, um, you know, then that child has really missed that window of time um, where our services can be the most impactful. And it's crazy because as you're, you know, talking, I'm thinking socioeconomics is definitely the biggest player here, right? Because if, if, like I said, if you have the funds, if you're of, you know, middle class, upper class, you know, of good socioeconomic background, you're able to, you know, you don't, you're not even relying on Medicaid. You're going and you're, you know, doing these out of pockets or you have really great insurance that's going to maybe potentially help supplement but I'm thinking about the parents, the single parents, especially who have to work two and three jobs in order to put real food on the table. Their kids are going to public schools that are like overrun, no services there, obviously. So the likelihood of them getting diagnosed at any age, you know, before 10, you know, but that's possibly from maybe a school psychologist, if the school even like maybe even like really has one. So, Mm -hmm. so we're talking about, you know, I can't even put a number to it, but a plethora of children Mm -hmm. (laughs) who are not, who who will never receive services and who become adults that are functioning Mm -hmm. somewhat in society. Mm -hmm. And we all know, like, there's like a cyclical thing, right? Like there's, it's, it's, it's cyclical. You know, if you're, if you're not necessarily high functioning in society, you may end up engaging in other certain activities for survival, and there we go. So it's, so, you know, it's interesting, you know, we're talking about this in New York City, our, our mayor recently, mm-hmm. you know, put out some proposals, like they're planning to cut education and health. Uh, but like, I forgot what the crazy number is, but it's in the billions, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like these services, these critical services, because when I think about society and I think about law and order and I think about crime because the NYPD budget is not being touched, of course. And then the Department of Corrections, they're they're getting an increase in their budget. So when I think about um cycles and systems, I'm looking I'm seeing all this as a cycle. You know, we're not investing and providing services in our children. Our children then grow up to be adults who may not be high functioning because of a condition that could have been, you know, Uh, I don't want to say treated, but, you know, they could have received services to help them. They become adults and they may end up because of their limitations at that time. Right. Because if you're not really dealing with the condition at at the optimal time, the the level of functionality right for them as an adult, um, they can get frustrated with life, frustrated with the fact that they can't understand their thought processes and they don't understand why they do the things that they do. That becomes frustrating. Right. That can lead to that can yep. lead to an unproductive adult 
who then will engage in certain activities that may be criminal, unfortunately. And then there's a cycle that's there. So it really frustrates me when I'm listening to you talking about services and how vital they are for our children, especially in that very, very young age. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm hearing, you know, and then there, there's just not there's already a lack of resources and now there's going to be more of a lack of resources. It's very frustrating, you know. You know, Rita, I I, I think, um, you know, for most of your listeners and particularly for me, you are absolutely preaching to, to the choir and without, um, you know, touching politics. Right. It's it's common sense that. Hey, if you don't invest in certain things now, you're going to have to invest in them later. And I think that's what your mayor is is doing. He's saying, "Oh yeah, we're going to give uh, DOC, um, you know, more resources, and we're just going to take it away from healthcare and education." And you know, in in his mind, that's kind of the right thing to do because, hey, these kids that aren't getting services right now, they're going to be in the Department of Corrections, you know, a little, just a few more years before um, before they get there. Um, and, you know, I, I will say, and again, I'll, I'll speak to Maryland, I will say that the, the guidelines for children um, to receive Medicaid in Maryland are actually different. Um, than just regular Medicaid for for the children who have autism. Mm. And I think that is one thing that the state has absolutely gotten correct because whereas, you know, you needed different thresholds to get, you know, normal Medicaid, those thresholds are are kind of, you kind of look the other way to those thresholds so that more of these children can receive services because there is, you know, listen, there's there's a gap of parents um, that work and earn enough money that they wouldn't qualify for uh, traditional Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they don't qualify to have all of these, or they don't earn enough rather to have like all of these crazy services in place that the state is capable of providing and that the state, you know, truly has an interest in making sure that our kids um, receive these services early and they receive these services often, um, particularly during COVID. I do want to plug that in. Particularly during COVID, there was an explosion of a need for services, um, especially respite services, because schools were closed um, and our parents were exhausted. You know, uh, if if your child doesn't go to school and they're there with you all day, you're not getting a break. Mm-hmm. You're you're not right. And so um, we had we had a number of families that truly um, leaned on these services during COVID. And you know, to our governor's um, credit, he actually put more money into um, you know providing. Uh, some of these services uh, during COVID. And again, not getting into politics. And while I don't agree with, you know, some other politics that, that happened <laughs> in, in Maryland, I do, I do think that is one thing that, that, that we got right, that these kids need the services. Our parents need the assistance and it is our, our duty, right? Whatever you think, it is your duty to um, 
see to it that they that they receive it because if you don't do it now, you will do it later. Right. And you know, one thing I can say, like states like Maryland and New Jersey um mm-hmm. tend to be on the up and up when it comes to those particular uh i guess issues right like you right. know new, new york is new york i mean we have god knows how many issues you know so sometimes it's kind of like let's let's pick and choose what we want to deal with now but i right. will say right. that maryland and new jersey because a lot of my friends who live in Jersey and have children with autism, like my cousin lives in Jersey and mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's always mm-hmm. been very uh, pro, you know, uh, assistance when it comes to children with autism in particular. So I Absolutely. will say, Absolutely. There, yeah, there are states that are more friendly in terms of those, mm-hmm. uh, you know, situations. And so I guess if you are a parent, And you are, you know, and you have a child with autism and you, you know, the state that you're currently in maybe have may may not be so friendly. Uh, Maybe, you know, you because I I know parents who've moved to certain states and who've lived in particular counties just to get services. So I do as well. I do as well. Right. And so, you know, we talk a lot about services. I know you mentioned some services before, but I guess just to kind of bring that in, what are some of the services that are available to children with autism or what services should parents be seeking out? And then I think mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about what services your uh, organization provides. Yeah. So, um, you know, great question. So, you know, in terms of um, clinicians, I mentioned this before, um, occupational therapy, right, is great. Uh, another hallmark, you know, with um, um, children with with autism is oftentimes their, their gross and fine motor skills um, aren't, you know, exactly, you know, hitting those hallmarks of where they should be. So um, a lot of our kids have occupational therapists working with them. Um, speech therapy, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, communication is one of those things that, um, you know, our, our children sometimes have, have trouble with. And, you know, as they get older, cognitive behavioral therapy, because, you know, when, when you, again, they, they think about the world differently, they see the world differently. And particularly, you know, uh, depending on where you are, on the spectrum, you're, you're going to, you know, have a level of depression or anxiety. Our kids, a lot of our children, you know, deal with anxiety. And so you want to have these um, clinical services, you know, in place to help them again. And I keep saying, live up to their potential. Um, And so that's, you know, really from the clinical aspect. And so what we do um, as a company is we provide um, several services. Um, and, you know, I was very careful in the beginning to say we work with children who have autism and their families, right? Because their families are absolute key in ensuring that these children have the best possible outcomes. Um, and so, you know, the first service we talk about is um, in individ- intensive individual support services. And these services, you know, again, depending on where this child is on the spectrum, really works with them one-on-one um, in the home environment to teach them how to do certain things uh, that might have taken them a little longer to do, like tie their shoe or microwave a meal 
or do your laundry or take out the trash, things like that. So, you know, things, activities of daily living that we take for granted or we just assume people know how to do. Um, we work intensively with our kids to make sure that they know how to do these things. And, you know, so that later on in life, um, because we realize, you know, and parents hate to hear this, you will not always be around. Chances are you will go before your child. Therefore, you want your child to know how to be as self-sufficient as absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the um, IISS, Intensive Individual Support Services, where we work with them. The other big service that we provide is therapeutic integration. And I love this service, right? And I love this service. I love all our services, but this one in particular, because it takes our kids into the community and we say, okay, you know, sure you have issues with social skills. We get that, but you still are a citizen of this world. And so you still have to learn to live in this world. Mm-hmm. And so we therapeutically integrate them into the community. So we take them out on trips, um, you know, and it can be something if, if, if a child's goal, you know, is to say, learn how to use money, right? We will take a trip to the grocery store with our kids and, you know, we'll have them practice holding the money, handing the money to the cashier making eye contact with the cashier and teaching them about how much change you should get back. And if the change isn't correct, how you should react. Right. And mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, and so we, we do really practical things like that. We also do things like horseback riding, right? Wow. Because that's, that's part of, yeah, I love that. I love that piece. Um, we have a fantastic program manager, who has really outlined a lot of different activities. Um, We take them to Six Flags because that is integrating them into the community. It's age appropriate. And um, it really helps them uh, manage their behaviors within, you know, surroundings that oftentimes might be overstimulating. Um, And, you know, we have a great team of staff that know how to react to these behaviors. and really help them, you know, as they go through through life later on. Our next service, our parents love, is respite because our parents need a break. And it is just what it sounds like. And so our company is unique in that, you know, uh, uh, there are some companies that will say, oh, respite services. Okay, we're just going to go find some place to sit outside of the house away from your parents. Our respite services, we encourage our staff to take them and do some of those therapeutic integration services, right? Mm -hmm. Because as often as we can, we want them interacting with the world. We want them interacting with with each other. We want to help them normalize some of the things that they are going to um, encounter. Mm -hmm. And the final service that we we provide works directly with our families, and it's called family consultation. Um, And our family consultants are at least master's level or um, have PhDs um, in, in education or social work. And they work directly with the families on how do we work 
together to uh, reinforce a lot of the work that we as a company have already done to teach the child. And what do, how do we as a family support this child with autism? What supports need to be in place? And it's not uncommon, and we've done this before, where we will sit in, if, our, if a parent needs us to sit in on an IEP meeting, right, we'll, we'll get our, um, the educator that has the, the PhD in education, and he'll sit in on that IEP meeting with the parent. So the parent knows what it's like or what it should look like when you are advocating for certain services for your child and what services are appropriate and what services are not, um, unfortunately. And, you know, this isn't a knock on, on educators in the system. I, I get you have thousands of kids that, that you have to deal with. But unfortunately, a lot of times these IEP meetings are rushed. Um, and, you know, some of the services are appropriate. Some of them are not. And so as a parent, you know, we teach them how to advocate for what's appropriate, what's not. And if you're not happy, how do you change it? Um, but we also teach them, and this is huge, Frida. Again, these kids are not to be treated like they are special. And I'm putting mm-hmm. that in quotation marks because like any child, they know that if you are treating them special, there are special things they can get away with. Right. And, you know, they can they can especially make you do certain things that you wouldn't do if your child didn't have autism. Right. Come out the And pockets. so we really a hello, <laughs> okay? Um and so we really work with with our families um to to help them understand and navigate with their children. And our goal is, you know, at this point several of our children have aged out of our services at the age of 21. Um but you know, there, there are three in particular that I can think of that we, you know, that continue to work with us, that continue to, you know, our parents still call us and, and we encourage that um, because we were able to help them uh, in, in a time when, you know, they didn't necessarily know how to help their child. And so those, those are the services we provide. It's, it's a labor of love. Um, I absolutely love the work that we do, and I hope that we are able to continue it for many, many years to come. Now, I mean, I knew you, I knew this business existed, but I was like (laughs) blown away with, you know, the services that you were basically, you know, you were depicting. So Mm -hmm. my, my, you know, as we're wrapping up, I have like maybe one or two questions left, but I definitely want to get to this question. Um, You know, what are some tips for parents looking for, you know, providers like you know because I'm listening to what you're providing I'm like this is amazing I'm pretty sure the average uh service provider is not going as in-depth as you're going right so what are some tips for parents who are seeking you know this additional support where they can say Mm -hmm. okay this sounds like a legit program yeah so the first tip I would say is listen to your gut um, in anything that you do with your child, right? Listen to your gut. When you are looking at a service provider, you do want to know what services, what kind of services they're providing. You want to know who is providing these services, right? Are, are you know, are these, um, you know, we're fortunate that 95% of our staff are teachers or paraprofessionals in special education in the school system. And that's key, Right. 
Um, you want to know what their philosophy is. You want to look at their past calendars. What have they done with, with the children? And um, are there any parents, other parents that you can talk to that this provider has provided services right. for? And I think that last one is key because I've never had a potential parent um, ask me if they can talk to another parent. But if they were to ask, I promise you, I have a list of parents that will be willing to sing the praises of what we have done for their children. Because again, we make sure that um, we go above and beyond. And I say this to our staff all the time. We didn't get into this business for profit. Um, and, and I promise you, we didn't get into this business um, <laughs> for profit, right? Um, but you know, my parents are retired special educators that didn't know how to properly retire and they loved this work. And so they decided to open this business and we continue in that vein that we are here um, to support our children, to support our families. Um, and so when you are, when you as a parent are really looking at which service provider to choose, you make sure that it is one that is committed to your child and that is committed to providing appropriate services to maximize um, your child's outcomes. And I will quickly say, Rita, if you are with a service provider and you don't feel like that provider is appropriate, switch providers. Nothing stops you from switching providers or at least in the state of Maryland, you can even split services. Right. If one mm -hmm. provider is really good at therapeutic integration, but they suck at individual intensive individual support services, you can split services um, and don't let anyone tell you that you can't because you can't and you should, because at the end of the day, it's what is best for my child. Well said. I love that. I love that advocacy piece. And I think that one of the services it look, or some of the services, you know, your organization provides is really helping parents find their voice and being yeah. that advocate for their child, because I think it's a little daunting, right? When you're dealing already with, uh, you know, your child and then having to navigate spaces that are not always so, you know, forthcoming with, you know, information or assistance. So um, mm -hmm. I think that's critical. So now with respect to resources, you know, people might be tuning in. They're like, well, you know, I don't live in the state of Maryland. I would love to, you know, hook up mm -hmm. with your organization. But are there any online resources? If I want to start the advocacy, you know, I don't really know where, I don't really know how. Are there any online resources or, or you know, places that people can go to get more information about um, autism? Yeah, Rita, um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that you asked that question. There absolutely are. There's the, you know, American Academy of Pediatrics, right? I mentioned them earlier. The CDC has great resources on autism. Um, and, you know, in terms of the statistics, the diagnoses, things to look for, um, even just links to other, other sites. Um, there is also um, a great nonprofit organization called Autism Speaks. Um, and, you know, they've been doing this work for a long time. Um, they have a plethora of resources on their website. The other place that you, the other thing that you can do is you can call providers, right? There, there are a list of um, providers within your state 
that, you know, you just Google, you know, autism services, X state, um, and see what pops up, give them a call, pick up the phone, give them a call. What do you guys do? How can I learn more? Can I, how can I, you know, get educated about, about this, um, you know, condition. And I, what I will tell you is um, for us in particular, whether or not, um, you know, you are eligible to receive services from us, I am a big advocate that knowledge is, should be free. Um, you know, tell that to my student loan providers, but whatever, mm. that's aside, right? But knowledge mm. should be free and um, it should be ex- freely accessible. And so we will always, if you have questions about autism, we will always take time to have those conversations with you because it's important. Um, and, you know, we, we know that a, a world where people are more educated is a more tolerant world. It's a more kind world and it's a more accepting world. Um, so call those providers and, and hopefully their philosophies are the same as, as ours. And so speaking of which, how can we get in contact with you? Is there a website? Is there a phone number? Is there Instagram? Yeah. Thank you. Um, So yes, we have a website. The website is um, www.samatrum. That's S-A-M-A-T-R-E-M.com. The name of our company, Samatrum. Um, There is a phone number. 301-595-5450. 301-595-5450. And, you know, you will reach someone in our office. Um, and there's also email addresses. Um, you know, I'll give my program manager's email and I will give mine. So my program manager's email is Nena. Um, that's uh, N-N-E-N-N-A at Symmetrum.com. Um, I am Diane Samu, D-I-A-N-N-E-S-A-M-U at Symmetrum.com. Um, and you can even reach out to um, Donna, D-O-N-N-A at Symmetrum.com. So any of those email addresses, you will be able to, you know, get in touch with us. We are happy to, you know, set up some time to talk to you um, if you do have questions about navigating. Again, we are in Maryland. Um, so while we can answer, you know, we can certainly answer questions about how to get services in Maryland. Um, we can at least point you in the right direction if you are in another state on, you know, where to go or, or how to navigate those things. Okay, great, great. And I guess finally, with respect to raising awareness, right? How can we, um, those of us who you know do not have a child with autism, or or maybe mm-hmm. not be so tangentially related to somebody with autism, how can we, you know, support our community and support those that you know that need this support? Like how, like what can we do to raise more awareness, particularly in our in our you know black and brown communities? Yeah. So the first thing is educate yourself, right? You, you want to be able to um, speak intelligently about what autism is and what autism is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, you know, so many different activities that you can get involved in, right? Especially, you know, April is Autism Awareness Month. Um, go ahead and head over to the Autism Speaks website they have things that you can do. I know in um, October, I'm doing 
and autism run out here in Maryland. Um, there are all types of fundraisers. There are all types of, of things that you can, you know, really get involved with. Volunteer for the Special Olympics, right? Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, different school, different schools, um, you know, have their own Special Olympics, uh, you know, in the summer for their kids. Volunteer, work with the kids there. Um, and just, you know, talk to a parent that has a kid with autism, right? And what's your experience like? How can I support you? How can I support this community? Because the more people that are aware of, um, you know, this this condition, the better the outcome. Um, really, really for for all of us. All right. Well, Diane, always, always filled with information. Always a great resource. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, that's why she's my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Diane always has the answer, always has the answer. (laughs) (laughs) But Diane, thank you so much again for just taking this time to educate us, right? Because this was a very educational moment. And it was also very inspirational and motivating for me because, you know, I'm always like wanting to help and always trying to figure out, huh, how can I now create something? Although I probably should be slowing down. But I was just like, my brain was spinning like, Hmm, you know, what can I start in my own community? So, you know, thank you so much for just, you know, giving us all this information and just being so, I think, optimistic, right? When it comes to autism as a condition, because I think people really see it as something very, very negative. Um, and I think just giving these examples and providing us with all of this information um, is very helpful. And I'm pretty sure people are empowered now to do something about it. And Rita, I I do want to thank you for um, bringing awareness to autism and really taking the time out um, to do this show, um, particularly about autism um, and just really raising the awareness within our community uh, about this this condition. Um, It's important. And um, I encourage your listeners, you know, Keep listening, um, number one. Um, but certainly, you know, there's there's always a great number of resources through this show. So thank you for for giving us this platform to do this. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so, Diane, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I will talk to you guys next week. You are listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. I can't wait to come back.